0: Hello everyone, this is Jamie, which means you're listening to Don't Call Me Crazy. I'm super excited for today's episode. We're going to have a guest speaker at the end, um, so stay tuned for that. Today we're going to be talking about a bacteria that most of you have probably already heard of, but you might not know all the somewhat gory details. Um, Not really gory, just a figure of speech, but you might not know all the details of this little bacteria. So the topic for today is going to be Lyme disease. So if you'd like to join in on the fun, I'll be drinking a blended bullseye, which is a combination of cranberry juice for that red hue, pineapple juice, and vodka. Um, You can garnish this lovely little beverage with an olive, but don't blame me if you glance down once we get to talking and uh, think that it's a tick. So what exactly is Lyme disease? Most of us are pretty aware that it comes from a tick bite, but what else? Well, lucky for you, I've got some answers. So the bacteria that causes Lyme disease is called Borrelia burgdorferi, which I probably didn't say right because this is not my major in school. Burgdorferi, And it's transmitted to humans through the bite of an infected, black-legged tick. Um, Lyme disease is a spirochete, which means it's like a double-membraned bacteria, and it's very long and slender and really tightly coiled, so it kind of looks like a phone cord. Um, typical symptoms include fever, headache, fatigue, and that characteristic skin rash called, um, they call it an EM rash or erythema migrans, if you want it to be technical, but re- typically they'll say an EM rash. If left untreated, the infection can spread to joints, the heart, the nervous system. Um, Lyme disease is often just diagnosed based on the symptoms, physical findings like the bullseye rash, um, and the possibility of being infected by exposure to a tick. Um, Laboratory testing can be useful if used correctly and performed with validated methods. Most cases of Lyme disease can be treated successfully with a few weeks of antibiotics. And so what I'll do is go over some steps that the CDC or Center for Disease Control lists as ways to try to prevent Lyme disease, which includes using insect repellent, removing a tick promptly, using pesticides, and reducing tick habitat, um, which could mean like not having a bunch of brush or anything like that close by to where you usually are if you're outside like in your yard. Um, The ticks that transmit Lyme disease can also transmit other diseases, so that's important to remember. And so in 2015, 95% of Lyme disease, were the cases were reported from 14 states. And those states were Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, and Wisconsin. Um, these states have areas where infected ticks are really common. But these infected ticks can also be found in neighboring states. And in some areas of Northern California, Oregon, and Washington. So, here in the Pacific Northwest, we are not uh, totally just not needing to be careful about ticks. We can have infected ones here. And then, um, it- The CDC did mention that although Lyme disease cases are occasionally reported from um, other states, it does not mean that the infection was acquired in those states. Case reports reflect where a patient lives at the time of their diagnosis, which can be different from the state where the patient was infected. So if you are originally from Washington and you got a tick bite and didn't realize it and moved to Texas, then your state of diagnosis would be technically Texas, because that's where you live. So it can kind of skew the results. So the transmission of Lyme disease, or this bacteria, um, is spread through the bite of infected ticks, like we already talked about. Um, the black-legged tick, which is also called a deer tick, spreads in the northeastern, mid-Atlantic, and north central United States Lyme disease. The western black-legged tick spreads the disease on the Pacific coast. Um, Ticks can attach to any part of the human body, but they are often found in hard-to-see areas, such as the groin, armpits, and scalp. Um, In most cases, the tick must be attached for 36 to 48 hours before the Lyme disease bacterium can be transmitted. Or longer, Um, but that would be the typical transmission time. Um, Most humans are infected through the bites of immature ticks called nymphs. Nymphs are tiny, less than two millimeters, and really difficult to see. They feed in the spring and summer months. Adult ticks can also transmit Lyme disease bacteria, uh, but they're a lot bigger, and they're likely to be discovered and removed before they've had time to transmit this bacteria. Adult ticks are most active during the cooler months of the year. And so there's no evidence that Lyme disease is something that can be transmitted from person to person. Lyme disease is something that um is acquired from being bitten by a tick. So if you know someone that has it, they can't give it to you um, just by sharing food or even having intercourse, like you can't share it that way. Um, Lyme disease that's acquired during pregnancy can lead to infection of the placenta and possible stillbirth, but with treatment, by using antibiotics, that can be prevented and there's no ill effects to the unborn child. Um, There are no links to Lyme disease spreading through things like breast milk or blood transfusions. However, scientists have found Lyme disease bacteria can live in stored blood, so they really firmly discourage people that are being treated for Lyme disease from trying to donate blood. Um, Animals do not carry Lyme disease itself. They carry the infected ticks, and they can carry those to your yard or inside the home. Um, So it's not like it's going to be a reservoir for this bacteria. They basically can just bring the tick to you. Because ticks can't fly or jump, instead they wait for a host resting on the tips of grass and in shrubs in a position that's known as questing. Now, I'm kind of a gamer, so when I think of questing, I'm thinking of, like, I'm going to pick up a quest and I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I need to do. Basically, this tick is questing for a meal, and that meal is somebody that's warm-blooded. Uh, While questing, ticks hold onto leaves and grass by their lower legs, and they hold their upper pair of legs outstretched, waiting to climb onto a passing host. When the host brushes the spot where the tick is waiting, it quickly climbs aboard and then finds a suitable place to bite. Uh, The tick feeding process makes it very good at transmitting the infection. So depending on the tick species and the stage it is in its life, preparing to feed can take anywhere from 10 minutes to 2 hours. So once the tick finds its ideal feeding spot, it grasps the skin and cuts into the surface. The tick then inserts its feeding tube, and many species secrete a cement-like substance that keeps them firmly attached during their meal. And this feeding tube can have barbs, which also help hold the tick in place. Ticks can also secrete small amounts of saliva with anesthetic properties so that the animal or person doesn't feel that the tick has attached itself. And if the tick is in a sheltered spot, it can go unnoticed, which kind of reminds me of mosquitoes because a lot of times I know you don't really, you're not aware that you've been bitten, but then you have that bite. Um, The black-legged tick will attach to its host and suck blood very slowly for several days. If the host animal has any or has certain blood-borne infections, such as the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, the tick might ingest that pathogen and become infected. If the tick later feeds on a human, that human can become infected. After feeding, the black-legged tick drops off and prepares for its next life stage. At its next feeding, it can then transmit the infection to a new host. Once infected, the tick can transmit the infection throughout its entire life. And so if you remove a tick quickly within 24 hours, you greatly reduce your chances of getting Lyme disease. It takes time for the Lyme disease causing bacteria to move from the tick to the host. But the longer that that tick stays attached, the greater the risk is of acquiring a disease. Uh, And so Lyme disease is the most commonly reported vector-borne illness in the United States. So what vector-borne means is it's a disease that's transmitted among human, animal, or plant hosts. Uh, by arthropods, usually insects. Um, animals play a role in infectious diseases by harboring pathogens that cause um, this, the disease only in susceptible populations. So in 2015, um, it was the sixth most common nationally notifiable disease, Lyme disease was. Um, the risk of infection is at the greatest for humans during late spring and summer. So the early signs, which would occur about three to 30 days after a tick bite, would be fever, chills, headache, fatigue, muscle and joint aches, swollen lymph nodes, um, the EM rash, which occurs in about, I saw a lot of stuff that said 70 to 80% of infected uh, people, but then there was a doctor that said in about 40%. So I think it could widely vary. So just because you don't have the rash does not mean you don't have Lyme disease. It begins, if you do get the rash, it begins at the site of the tick bite after a delay of three to 30 days. The average is about seven days and it expands gradually over a period of days reaching up to 12 inches or more across. It might feel warm to the touch, but it's very rarely itchy or painful. Sometimes it clears as it enlarges resulting in a target or bullseye appearance. It may appear on any area of the body Um, And then you can Google examples of these rashes online uh, if you want to see one, just for reference. The later signs and symptoms, which would occur days to months after the bite, would be severe headaches or neck stiffness, additional EM rashes on other areas of your body. So you may not even get a rash where you were bitten. You could get one completely somewhere else that was not bitten by the tick. Arthritis with severe joint pain and swelling, particularly the knees or other large joints. So think big joints like your hips, possibly your shoulders, elbows. Intermittent pain in tendons, muscles, joints, and bones. Heart palpitations or regular heartbeat, which is also referred to as Lyme carditis. Uh, Episodes of dizziness or shortness of breath. Inflammation of the brain and spinal cord. Nerve pain, shooting pains, numbness or tingling in the hands and feet problems with short-term memory, uh, fever, and other general symptoms may occur in the absence of a rash. A small bump or redness at the site of the tick bite that occurs immediately and resembles a mosquito bite is common. This irritation usually goes away within one to two days and is not a sign of Lyme disease. That would basically be a sign that you were bitten by a tick or some other bug. Um, A rash with a very similar appearance to EM occurs with southern tick associated rash illness, which is called Starry, and that's not Lyme disease. And then of course, like we mentioned before, ticks can spread other organisms that can cause other types of rashes. And so just to give you kind of an overview on what you should do if you find a tick attached to you, don't panic, that's the big thing. The key to removing a tick is you wanna do it as soon as possible. And there's a lot of tick removal devices on the market um, but you can use just a set of fine tip tweezers. And what you would do is use those tweezers to grasp the tick as close to the skin surface as possible, and then you just pull upward with steady, even pressure. You don't want to jerk or twist the tick because it can cause the mouth parts to break off and, remo- and remain inside your skin. Um, if that was to happen, you would remove the mouth parts with tweezers if you could. Um, if you're unable to remove the mouth easily with clean tweezers, it says to leave it alone and let it heal. Um, After removing the tick, thoroughly clean the bite area with your hands uh, with rubbing alcohol or soap and water. It says don't crush it with your fingers. Dispose of a live tick by putting it in alcohol, placing it in a sealed bag or container, wrapping it tightly in tape, or by flushing it down the toilet. Um, For me, I think if I had mouth parts from a tick left in my body, I'd probably want them out. Um, So I probably would make an appointment with a doctor just because I don't particularly feel like I'd want to know there was mouth parts, which just sounds gross inside my body from a tick. Um, So Lyme disease is diagnosed based on signs and symptoms, the history of exposure to this tick that carries Lyme disease, and then laboratory blood tests are helpful if they're used correctly, like we said before, and performed with validated methods. Laboratory tests are not recommended for patients who do not have symptoms of typical Lyme disease, just as it is important to correctly diagnose Lyme disease when a patient has it, it is important to avoid a misdiagnosis and treatment of Lyme disease when the true illness is something else. So the treatment of Lyme um, in the majority of cases can be done successfully with oral antibiotics. Physicians sometimes um, describe patients who have nonspecific symptoms like fatigue, pain, and joint muscle aches after the treatment of having Lyme disease is having post-treatment Lyme disease syndrome, or PTLDS, or post-Lyme disease syndrome, PLDS. The cause of this isn't really known um, for these lingering symptoms after they've been treated with their antibiotics. Um, And so this term, there's quite a bit of controversy, um, but the term chronic Lyme disease, or CLD, has been used to describe people with a different illness, which is kind of probably part of the reason why it's controversial. While the term is sometimes used to describe illness in patients with Lyme disease, in many occasions, it's used to describe symptoms in people that have no evidence of a current or past infection with this bacteria. And because of this confusion um, on how this term is used, experts generally do not support using chronic Lyme disease as a, any type of a phrase to describe it, just because it's being used to describe things that aren't Lyme disease. And so there is some dangers when it comes to long-term or alternative treatments for this. Um, Studies funded by the National Institute of Health, or NIH, have not shown that people who receive prolonged courses of antibiotics do any better in the long run than people that are treated with placebos. Um, And furthermore, the long-term antibiotic or alternative treatments for Lyme disease have been associated with serious complications. So if you're considering a long-term antibiotic treatment or for any kind of like associated symptom with Lyme disease infection, it just the CDC encourages you to talk to your healthcare provider about the associated risks, um, and to find a second opinion if you need one. Um, obviously, you can by taking antibiotics incorrectly, you can have antibiotic resistance at some point. So it's important to take them in the correct way that they're prescribed by a licensed professional. And so, like we said before, uh, CLD is not the same as Lyme disease. It's a diagnosis that's been rejected by medical professionals, and it's defined as just being a broad array of illnesses or symptom complexes for which there is no reproducible or convincing scientific evidence of any relationship to the Borrelia bacteria. Um, Late-stage Lyme disease, however, is something different. So if your Lyme disease isn't promptly or effectively treated within the first two stages, late decimated Lyme occurs weeks, months, or even years after the tick bite. The Lyme bacteria um, would have spread throughout the body, and many patients develop chronic arthritis as well as an increase in neurological and cardiac symptoms, which can include arthritis in the joints or near the point of infection, severe headaches or migraines, vertigo or dizziness, uh, migrating pains that come and go in joints and tendons, stiff aching neck, sleep disturbances or insomnia, disturbances in heart rhythm, mental fogginess, concentration issues, numbness in your arms, legs, hands, or feet, problems following conversations and processing information, and severe fatigue. Um, Some say that Lyme disease is going to be a growing threat due to warmer winters, which leave the ticks alive and they're hungry. And as we mentioned before, the ticks can spread to other diseases besides Lyme. Um, So they can also spread in the United States. Um, Other pathogens, which include, and I'll probably butcher several of these, anaplasmosis, which is transmitted to humans through tick bites from the black-legged tick also. Um, It's in the northeastern and upper-midwestern US. And uh, the western black-legged tick, like we talked about, along the Pacific coast. bobsiosis is caused by a microscopic parasite that infects blood blood cells red blood cells excuse me most human cases in the U.S. are caused by a black-legged tick and it's found primarily in the northeast and upper midwest so this tick is carrying lots of different things um maioni, mayoni, mayoni infection, um, which is described as the cause of illness in the upper Midwestern United States, also by these black-legged ticks, um, specifically in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Um, It's a new species of bacteria known to cause Lyme disease, so that's important. Um, Of course, we've already talked about the Borrelia um, Lyme disease quite intensively. Um, bourbon virus, which is identified in a very limited amount of patients in the Midwest and Southern United States, and they don't really know if the virus is in other areas right now. Colorado tick fever, uh, which is a virus transmitted by the Rocky Mountain wood tick, it occurs in the Rocky Mountains. If um, that didn't, if the tick's name didn't give it away, um, and it's going to be at elevations of four thousand to ten thousand five hundred feet. Uh, Ehrlichiosis, which is transmitted to humans by the Lone Star Tick, and it's found primarily in the South Central and Eastern U.S. Heartland virus, which has been found in the Midwestern and Southern United States. Studies suggest that this may be transmitted by the Lone Star Tick. Um, Of course, we've got the Powassan disease, which is also by the Black-Legged Tick, um, and the Groundhog Tick. And cases have been reported in the northeastern states like the Great Lakes around there. Uh, they, and I've known this by rickitos, rickettsiosis, but it's the full name is Rickettsia parkeri rickettsiosis. And it's transmitted to humans by the Gulf Coast tick. Uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever is transmitted by the American dog tick. Rocky Mountain wood tick and the brown dog tick in the US The brown dog tick and other tick species um, are associated with this in Central and South America. Starry, southern tick-associated rash illness, is transmitted via bites from the Lone Star tick, and it's found mostly in the southeastern and eastern U.S. Tick-borne relapsing fever is transmitted to humans through the bite of an infected soft tick, Uh, This has been reported in 15 states, including Arizona, California, Colorado, Idaho, Kansas, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Ohio, Oklahoma, Oregon, Texas, Utah, Washington, and Wyoming. And it's typically associated with sleeping in rustic cabins and vacation homes. Uh, Tularemia is transmitted to humans by the dog tick, the wood tick, and the lone star tick, and it can be found throughout the U.S., 364-D rickettsiosis, rickettsia philippi-proposed, is transmitted to humans by the Pacific Coast tick. Um, It's a new disease, and it's been found in California. And so interestingly, uh, my favorite word, a lot of the research points to something called Lyme rage. From the personal stories I read, this can mean flying off the handle in a complete rage for something that may not normally cause the person to get that level of angry. Um, Reasons for this has been described as being uh, Lyme disease attacking the central nervous system, or CNS. Um, This could account for changes to personality, including decreased frustration tolerance. Being chronically ill can also cause a decreased frustration tolerance, so if you're constantly not feeling well... Um, But we know that correlation doesn't mean causation, so it's really hard to say for certain. But if you Google Lyme rage, you will find a plethora of stories from people that say they have Lyme disease and they've experienced this Lyme rage. Um, Some of these um, individuals are incarcerated. And one story I found, the person actually tried to use uh, Lyme rage as a defense in court, so I thought that was really interesting um, and you might think that this is where I would talk about like intermittent explosive disorder or something like that but I really didn't think it was applicable because the it's not falling into the same range of like that you would make a diagnosis with so I didn't really think that it was appropriate to to talk about that right now um, it, it seems like it might just be more related to the fact that they're not feeling well and that you know their body's not cooperating. Um, so I think anyone that has been sick or that's been sick for a long time would kind of be able to identify with the fact that sometimes you just don't don't feel good and you get upset so uh, most aggression with Lyme disease was impulsive and it was sometimes provoked by intrusive symptoms, sensory stimulation or frustration. And was invariably bizarre and senseless. In about 9.6 of Lyme disease patients, they were homicidal uh, with the daily average, with the average diagnosis delay of nine years. Post-infection findings associated with homicidality were separated from the non-homicidal group with a 95% confidence level. I'm sorry, confidence interval included suicidality, sudden abrupt mood swings, explosive anger, paranoia. Like strange mood effects, hypervigilance, exaggerated startle reflexes, disinhibition, nightmares, depersonalization, intrusive, angry and aggressive images, dissociative episodes, derealization, intrusive sexual images, marital family problems, legal problems, substance abuse, depression, panic disorder, memory impairments, neuropathy, cranial nerve symptoms, decreased libido. So it's kind of this giant amount of symptoms that can mean anything. And, you know, it's really hard to say what that could be without examining case studies and files. Um, But it was interested that seven Lyme disease homicides included predatory aggression, poor impulse control, and psychosis. Some patients have selective uh, hyperacusis, which is a debilitating hearing disorder, and it consists of increased sensitivity to certain frequencies or sounds. This specifically was to mouth sounds. Um, And so that was from a study that I'll cite later on, those findings there. But it's really hard to say because if ticks are so widespread and if Lyme disease is so widespread, it could just be that, you know, these are people that might have already just that would have happened and then they got bitten by a tick. So you just don't know. You can't for certain tie that stuff together without a lot of research. Um, The real question would be, is there a way to say the aggression is absolutely tied to Lyme disease? Um, Lyme disease is known to be a great imitator because it mimics a lot of other medical conditions, and the blood test for Lyme disease is like notoriously not reliable, and it might miss up to half of the cases. Um, there's over 100 strains of Borrelia in the United States, and worldwide there's over 300 different strains. So you could have a strain that's not going to come up on the test that you're being tested for. If you got Lyme disease overseas, if you were bitten by an infected tick, and then you come back to the United States or vice versa, you might not be tested, you know, with the correct test that will make that be a positive result. Um, Lyme disease can mimic psychiatric and cognitive disorders. It can increase the severity of prior underlying symptoms. Patients that score high on standardized tests for depression and anxiety often return to normal scores when their Lyme disease and co-infections are treated successfully. So Dr. Jane Mark described Lyme disease as being a stealth microbe that evades the immune system and does not live freely in the blood. Other stealth infections that would be on this list are HIV, herpes, and chlamydia. Um, And then, of course, the original uh, would be syphilis. She uses the damage response framework, which is that any illness is the outcome of an interaction between the host and the agent or the threat. So both the immune system and the neurological system are geared to respond to danger. The host can produce the illness and damage in response to the microbe. So by itself, Lyme disease isn't actually hurting you. What's hurting you is your body's response to Lyme disease. And many microbes are actually integrated into our DNA and they've become a part of us. And our immune system doesn't do anything to eliminate them because they're not a threat. Um, And like I talked about before, syphilis is the first stealth microbe. Um, That's where after your initial infection, like 40 years later, you can be diagnosed with dementia, which is a direct result of syphilis infection. Um, And syphilis is a spirochete as well. um, But the spirochete that causes Lyme disease is much more advanced. Dr. Mark called Lyme disease syphilis on steroids, and it infects every organ. Um, She also stated, multi-infection is the rule and not the exception. Um, She described being bitten by a tick as getting a shot from the dirtiest needle around. This spirochete likes to go into cardiac muscle and into neurons. It can disrupt the blood-brain barrier. Um, It can enlarge the pathway where it wants to go. It's made to adhere to the cells that it wants to get to while remaining invisible to your immune system. And in Czechoslovakia, a study was performed that showed 33% of those admitted for psychiatric reasons were actually positive for Lyme infection. Um, And then it can also form a cyst that makes it nearly impenetrable, which further protects itself. And then I have a story. Um, So this is from Marisol. And she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Uh, she was a young woman. And so in October 2016, she was a student. She was in great health. Uh, she was on her way to school one day, and she felt like she was going to have a heart attack. The left side of her body went numb, and she started experiencing experience cardiac arrhythmia and irregular heartbeat. Um, She withstood these symptoms for about a week before she went to the emergency room. The ER doctor basically told her she's fine, she's in perfect health, no idea what's wrong with her, and he suggested it might be stress and gave her some pain medicine. So she took the medication, Um, he gave her enough for a month, she finished the course, finished her semester. Uh, Her symptoms eventually went away, except for she had this lingering left side facial numbness. Um, It would be tingly and then go numb. But she was a busy student, like a lot of us, and she just didn't have time. Uh, So she waited until January of 2017, and she decided to go back to the doctor who referred her to a neurologist. Um, At this point, she was having left eye pain, blurred vision, trouble concentrating, and she was also having really severe mood swings and described herself as feeling off. The doctor wanted a brain MRI and then an MRI of her neck, which she completed. The results came back, and Marisol went back to the neurologist who told her he suspected she had MS. Her brain MRI had come back abnormal, and she had multiple small small lesions on her brain, which had just started. Um, she was totally shocked. Uh, they prescribed antidepressants, anti-anxiety medicine, pain medications, uh, muscle relaxers, and then she started researching what MS was on her own. Um, the doctor wanted to confirm this diagnosis with a spinal tap, and so um, that after that spinal tap is when they would prescribe the MS medications, and she had no family history of it. She started having daily panic attacks and eventually dropped out of school during her last semester. Her spinal tap results were abnormal and the doctor stated this confirmed the results and the MS medication was ordered, um, which MS medication is super expensive. The retail price typically will be around $5,000 for a month. so Marisol felt really sick, and she realized how quickly her symptoms came on, and she just didn't agree with this MS diagnosis. And she was a research scientist. That's what she was going to school for, so she knew how to research things, and she also she wanted to know why she was having these symptoms. So just her, she started researching, she became really aware that as these stories of MS came up, there were these linking stories of, like, I was diagnosed with MS, but I had Lyme disease. So she started checking the symptoms and saw they were nearly identical. Um, She didn't have the EM rash or that bullseye rash, but she didn't remember having a tick bite. So she kind of was iffy on it. And then she came across a story of a woman that was diagnosed with MS and was treated for it for three full years. And then when she was tested for Lyme disease, it was positive. So this prompted her to request the Lyme disease test herself. And so Marisol went to the neurologist, everything was going great, and then as soon as she mentioned the word Lyme, her neurologist told her, absolutely not, and the, and the testing was positive for MS, even though there's not a 100% test for MS. Um, Marisol was in total shock that her neurologist was so unresponsive to her request and she left and stopped taking all these MS medications and started looking for another doctor. Um, She had difficulty finding a doctor that specialized in Lyme disease, but she persisted and finally found someone who diagnosed her with, if you can guess, Lyme disease. He started her treatment, prescribed her some vitamins and supplements, and then um, the the other Lyme disease treatment like antibiotics and things like that. She started, you know, going to support groups, and she discovered many people were misdiagnosed with things like MS or other autoimmune disorders and eventually got the Lyme diagnosis. Um, So I thought that was a really interesting story. That story is available on YouTube as well. Um, and then before my guest speaker comes up, I, Dr. Richard Horowitz, the author of Why Can't I Get Better? Solving the Mystery of Chronic Disease um, was one of my references. Robert C. Bransfield, which is from 2018, Violence, Aggressiveness, Homicidality, Homicide and Lyme Disease. Dr. Jane Mark, you can watch her presentation on YouTube. Um, you can get information from the CDC. There's a ton of Lyme disease websites. There's a ton of personal stories online. Um, and so I am going to go get our guest speaker. All right, so we've got our guest speaker here. His name is Evan. Yes. He's, he is seven years old, and he's going to give us a little bit of advice on pets and ticks. hmm So what, what kind of advice do you have for everybody? So
1: everyone, make sure to check your dog all the time after you... Um, after you give them a walk or let them go out to use the bathroom. And, um, so that's what you want to
0: do. That's good advice. What would you recommend with a dog like Mari? Like, what would we do if we took her into a really heavy wooded area? Because she has a lot of fur.
1: Well, you can always take, like, a little device that lets you see the ticks.
0: You like a comb? then kind of, like put her for, part it so that yeah, we can see. or kind of like a,
1: like a um, tick detector.
0: A tick detector? That would be really convenient, wouldn't it? But I mean, we should invent that trademark. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it really exists. I'm not sure. And then, what about, like, on people? Would you, would you help, like, look and make sure there's nothing on people's legs? Yeah, I and...
1: actually might work at the doctor's, like, where they, like, um take ticks off of people. Mm-hmm. Would that be
0: the doctors? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Any other advice for our listeners? Um. And nothing
1: else to say? Well, I do have one more thing. Okay. Um. So, um, if people would like to um check their dogs, they can. Mm-hmm. And, um... What about their cats? Cats, too, because one time I felt my dog had a tick.
0: Yeah. probably check all the animals that are outside, like horses and everything. So,
1: if you have an animal and you've taken the animal outside before... Like in a brushy, wooded area? Yeah. Like where we take our dog to go potty. Mm -hmm. So... Even if you don't want to, you might have to look for your horny ticks with like a comb or something like that. Mhm. And you can like probably use slime to pick it up. But I wouldn't do that because it could probably dig through the slime and then get on you.
0: Probably like put like, it, put it in. I think earlier we talked about putting them in alcohol, and then maybe like wrapping it up in tape or flushing it down the toilet. You know what? You could just like put it in alcohol. Yep, exactly. And then like take it out of it. Just dump it in the toilet and flush it. No, you can
1: put wrap it with tin foil. Yeah. Then wrap it around with duct tape. Then, throw it, then pop it in the toilet and flush it down. Cause that is like the only thing that will work on ticks. I huh. mean, you don't want to have your person. Like you don't want to die or have anything else die, cause. But one thing, please don't let your babies get in your ticks, cause they will probably eat it.
0: Oh yeah, we we don't want babies by ticks.
1: No, we we don't even <laughs> want them to die. We don't want anyone by ticks. No.
0: So, <laughs> all right. Well, I want people to live. Yeah, me too. I think that's really good sage advice there. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Um, Here in the Pacific Northwest, there's a fair amount of ticks, so it's important to check yourself, your kids, your pets, your friends, whoever you go hiking with. Yes. Um, After you've been outdoors or in wooded areas, ticks Um. are super small. They can go unnoticed, and removing them improperly can cause them to infect you. So if you are unsure, seek out a medical professional to help you. Um, You can get Lyme disease facts online through the CDC. Um, and many people share their stories, like I talked about before. Um, any closing words? And, yes, I actually do
1: have a few more.
0: Okay, what's up? Um,
1: so, now your friends, families, pets, what, whatever you have out there, your mom, your dad, your stepdad, your stepmom, your grandma, your great-great-grandma, Oh, whatever. You know what I mean,
0: guys. All your people? Yeah. Okay.
1: And um, don't forget your all of your grandparents, even your greatest grandparents. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you don't really know people, like, actually, don't go close up to people.
0: Yeah. That's probably... That's good advice.
1: Only... So- only do it to your family members or friends or grown-ups who are grown ups,
0: you know and the police. And just, check, like, check your friends and, yeah. and make sure, like, if you go on hikes, you're checking people. Yeah. Good good advice. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. And remember
1: to take showers.
0: Yep. That's That, that also will keep
1: them out with soap.
0: <laughs> that's good advice. That way we don't have, be stinky, huh? Yeah. Okay. And, and it will also keep the ticks out. Very good solution well you might be able to find one if it's on you it won't just come off but you could find it that yeah way. but
1: the soap will poison them will it maybe a little
0: i don't know because like
1: i don't think bugs can get in your soap
0: i don't know ticks are pretty
1: hardy so yeah, it's all
0: right box. guys well i think that's a wrap for us we thanks might. for listening
1: we might make another one
0: yep all right have we'll see you next week bye bye